Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily It's time for the hand. <laughs> the hand. Last week was the thing. The thing, and this is during the what-offs. <laughs> I'm Matt Gourley. And I'm Paul Rust. And uh, you're listening to Dig with Gourley and Rust. You're right. So, Matt, you point out that all of our one-off movie titles in this series that we've chosen either have the... Or just, you know, what? A, uh, like a, a plural... Son- sonorous no. three syllables, like Sinister, Suspiria. Yeah. The Vanishing, The Conjuring. Yes. Everyone has its little buddy. Now look, and it could easily have been The Suspiria. Right. It could have easily been Vanishing. Yeah. So really... But it wasn't, Paul. We didn't deliberately choose these. No, it was The Hand of Fate. <laughs> the Hand Yes 1981 of Fate oh. Thank you for choosing this title, Matt Fuck, I loved this movie I loved it too <laughs> it's So it's got everything And I mean good and bad I can't wait to go back and rewatch it Because there are so many I mean, this is why we're all here Cozy Yeah There's many yeah. cozy elements Does it meander at parts? Yes. What's that? Does it meander at yeah. parts? Are yes. some things problematic? Yes. Is it all caps sluggish <laughs> at points? Yes. Do you mean sluggish or do you mean, hey, relax, friend. I got this. I'm a movie and I'm going to let you just, I'm going to do all the work. You don't have to do any work. That's true. Yeah. I'd say just, yeah, sit back. You could also have met sluggish as in like the hand is like a slug, a little garden slug yeah. that moves around. Yeah. Now, before we dig into the uh-huh. hand, uh-huh. Um, should we uh, invite people? <laughs> we welcome people last week. We're like, hey, John Carpenter fans who just go on podcast search and be like, hey, who's talking Carpenter or the thing? Maybe they found us. We got to do due diligence with this. <laughs> Lots of cane heads. Welcome. Stone Aroos. Come to. Hey, handies. Hey, 
hand job our hand where are hand jobbers at oh that's good yeah all the people who love the hand 1981 i don't know why i'm adding the year uh i don't think there's other movies i think there is other the hands oh okay yeah uh uh at least one other usually yeah i mean not not for james lonsdale what's his name who the character in this oh his author name yeah <laughs> Is it Lansdale? So it could have been Hansdale. Oh, hands fail. Yeah, talk about hands fail. That truck coming by and blowing off his hand. Oh, the hand. Before we get into our business, I will just say one bold. I believe this is what what some people refer to as a hot take. I also have a hot take just from that little hand discussion, and I'm excited to think... Our hot takes are on the same stove. Well, I was already leading to it for mine, but I think The Hand, 1981, deserves a fucking reappraisal because I don't think this movie gets the respect it deserves. And I think that this is a good, cozy, fun, entertaining, solid, beautiful, cozy, fucked up, slow burn of a movie. I haven't spoke or heard something spoken with such passion since... Oliver Stone speaking about the JFK assassination. Which he often did with Michael Caine, or I should say to Michael Caine. (laughs) Thank you, Brantley Palmer, for your copious Uh, notes. Love those notes on the hand, Brantley Palmer. Thank you, as always. Now, this is what I thought you were going to say about your hot take. That is a great hot take. Yeah. We could get into it when we get to that scene. But when he goes back... To the scene of when his hand's taken off. Yeah. And he replays the events in his mind. And he sees a car going down a road. And then an explosion of (laughs) flesh and blood. And then he goes on to Dealey Plaza. I mean, the field (gasps) to look for the body part. I was like, oh, this is like proto. Of course it is. Like the whole setup of how his hand explodes is straight up just JFK's assassination. It's Absolutely. Like, and his memory is Zapruder's film. Yes. Yeah. And he goes back and he's trying to replay and piece it together to see how he can make sense of it. It is uh, that the JFK assassination has haunted uh, more than Vietnam. I would say yeah, it has. Because at this point, he, well, he thinks Vietnam wouldn't have happened without JFK. So sorry. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Stone was already obsessed with the JFK assassination at this point. We know this because of Brantley's notes. We also know that he was not only riddled on cocaine most of the time, but he was freebasing at this point. Mm. So obviously that's very sad and tragic, but it might give us a clue as to what, what might be going through his head at the time. JFK also, he was going through a divorce. And before I even read that in the notes, I was like, this is autobiographical in the same way that I think the shining was for Stephen King, as I'm learning. Yeah. Not that he would kill his family, but the tension of, Mm. of a creative trying to get work done in the face of also having a family. Yes. Brantley's notes also pointed how uh, Oliver Stone actively casted it to not be Jack Nicholson, but more John Voight. And I thought that was interesting because that was Stephen King's, to your point, Stephen King's original, like, Oh, that's who Jack Torrance should be in the shining. Yeah, there's a lot of shining parallels in this. Yes, and it seems like it's the uh, reaction almost to the reaction, the critical or audience response to The Shining, because you it is all about the 
I took notes of this when I was watching it. Exactly. It was like, oh, this is probably not exactly, but what audiences wanted it, The Shining to be, which is like slow burn uh, uh, in terms of Jack Torrance, mm-hmm. like his character. Yeah. Everybody's major normie. You heard me complain about The Shining is like he goes crazy too quickly. Yeah. And they'd rather have it be like John Voight, who by the end. But I got to say, when Michael Caine like lost it and he starts like choking the woman and his hand is choking her and he first started like realizing he was going crazy and he was pulling himself back it paid off for the the slow burn i was like okay that delivers once it happens it is really terrifying take that walter white you're not the first to break bad yeah you're not the first one to knock at a door (laughs) (laughs) you're not the first one to knock at a door walter white sir Okay, let's, okay, let's get on, into some let's... business before we get into some jizzness about this movie. <laughs> That's how much we loved it. Startling lack of jizz and <laughs> ha- uh, jack-off jokes in this movie, I gotta say. I know, the, the restraint was pretty amazing. The restraint in, in Michael Caine's performance and the restraint in jack-off jokes, because they should have just done one to get it out of the way. You're right, and we rarely get that kind of blue on this podcast, but it does beg the question, would he switch to the left hand or just go straight for the prosthetic and do the kind of stranger thing, you know? Oh, that's funny because I imagine he would just go into one of those yoga aerobics classes that is oh, the origin taking, institute yeah and then find a way to fold himself up and suck his own ding down oh wow hmm. I he's don't know. like I bloody well can't jack off with this Kerry Grant <laughs> accent so <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with my prosthetic arm it's more to do with this Kerry Grant <laughs> we're two professionals uh, and that's why we're, because we're professional podcasters, we're going to do professional podcast business. And mm-hmm. what that means, I'm sorry if you have just got a lot of just piss and vinegar in my voice. It's because I love the hand. Yes, I love the hand too. And I know you love it more than me. I don't know. Well, uh, 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 but piss away. Okay. Well, first of all, you can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and you can get feature length film commentaries, list episodes, cozy tournaments. We got a mm. we got a cozy tournament coming up I believe in June. Yes. Or is it the tournament or is it the awards? I think it's the tur- tournament. Yeah, yeah, that's the tournament, right? <laughs> that's where we rank all of the past years films that we've covered in terms of coziness. Oh my gosh, you with the hand, I feel like that's number 1 with a bullet if you can have that in terms <sighs> of the ring. I mean, the hands someday we'll have to do cozy like all-star tournament where like misery goes up against the hand goes up against oh of course (laughs) no exactly when they bring the champions of jeopardy back that's right and and it's so exciting to see ken jenner go against uh bruce jenner insert name later we'll do that (laughs) right matt we'll pick it up okay cool so uh you can also get mailbag episodes hell before we even re- recorded this podcast, Paul and I did like a, I don't know, 10 minute video. Yeah, that was fun. Just for the patrons, and we put it up there. I talked about body double film locations, oh, my parents. It was sweet. It was sweet. <laughs> sweet in both like the surfer cool way, but sweet as in also like the James L. Brooks way. Like a treacly. Sweet sentimental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you subscribe at the Xenomorph level, Baby Xenomorph level. You get your name read on the podcast. All you got to do is email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com. 
And then we'll confirm you're a baby xenomorph. Tell Can us we- your name in the subject. And if you'd like it read out in any specific way, I guess we're doing that now. And we're happy to. Yeah, that's fun. Do you like I, this tough guy I am today? Yeah. yeah. The piss and vinegar. It's like you've been uh, freebasing like Mr. Stone. Yeah. But on Java. Uh, okay. <laughs> Carrie Walth, Walthall would like her name read Paul with a new no-no. Uh, Carrie Walthall? Walthall, I believe. Carrie or Walthall. Carrie Walthall? Yeah. No, no, no. Carrie isn't just a student at Bates High. She's also a xenomorph. No, no, no. Get out of the way, Carrie. Carrie Walthall's here. (laughs) Talk about meandering. I think Eat was, your heart out, Oliver Stone. That's the journey, not the destination. It's true. Uh, we did read out for Jesse Haggard, but uh, I believe he would like his fiance's name read out and by the Southern lawyer. And her name, uh, she go. Her name is Brianna, but she go by B Haggard. Uh, B Haggard, or else beware, because anybody who looks good and isn't haggard uh, better do their share of work. Why do I always got to go into a rhyme? Because, <laughs> hey, because it's exonerated all of your clients. That's that's right. Is it's, exonerated a word you can use with a lawyer? Um, or yeah, could yeah, the police I mean, only be like, we found something that exonerates you? Or, no, no. Oh, attorney could come in and go, I have something that can completely exonerate. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. If you are just joining us for the first time because you're a huge handhead and you're wondering what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Well, I have to believe that if you're a huge handhead and you sought us out at this podcast for the first time because of the hand, we don't need to explain ourselves to you. You already understand what's happening. You're our type of person. That's right. And, and Matt, when you said uh, the Zeno level, yeah. I, I kind of did a Zeno sound away. Oh, so nice. can I just, can we do a little sound for each of the levels real quick? Yeah. So there's, uh, first one is uh, Baby Jason. Uh, that's it's nice. all based that's on, nice. going to be all based on yeah. gasps. And okay, I love this. Stuff. Hisses and gasps. Hisses and Various gasps. escapes of air. Uh, yes. Then next is a baby Michael. Now let me think. <laughs> is that it? No, 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 no. That okay. wasn't it. Sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, uh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's like when Michael jumps out of the back seat and attacks oh, yeah. Annie. <laughs> yeah, but I tried to do it as a side. That was it. That was. Well, what if you, hey, this is a, we're, we're, no, I want you to take this because this, I, yours was already better. I couldn't think of anything for this Michael. This is co-hosted, not just hosted. So no, can you come up is, with a, and you're the Halloween head. Yeah, but I couldn't come up with anything better. Michael, breathe. You hear his breathing sometimes. So you could oh, have just done Oh, you do. A, you hear like, <sighs> doesn't yeah. he get wounded at some point? You hear like a, <sighs> yeah. Or maybe it would be better as a, yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, yes. Or just a... And it's Loomis. I knew that was Loomis, just based on the sound you made. <sighs> so that's that's what it is. Okay. The Michael levels. <laughs> and then what about Freddy, baby Freddy? Um, 
Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, it would be uh, uh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then Freddie always breaks the rules. He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he so talks. He's not going to do it. Talks and hisses. He goes bitch. And then um, baby Zeno. Hey, that's the original where yeah. I came up with it all. Yeah. Man, it's good to be back to the- <laughs> It's good to be back to have a Zeno hissing. Yeah. Okay, the hand. Hander. What can I say? It's 1981. You start with some logo loke. Already you get some James Horner music just from the jump. I didn't. First of all, I chose this movie. I was curious. I'd never seen it. Didn't even know James Corn- Horner was the composer or James Corner was the humposer. <laughs> humposer. That's when you clean up all the orgy people. Uh, I thought it was a guy who works at SeaWorld. It's both. I didn't even know Oliver Stone directed this, nor did I know he has a cameo in this thing. So when you chose this... Yes! Okay, Matt. Yeah. Because, you know, I know Platoon is very close to your heart. That's right. So I thought you were choosing this as like a... That had to be such a gift. No, because I'm not even an Oliver Stone fan outside of Platoon and the whackness of JFK. Right. But I I find him, especially later years, to be really (laughs) uninterested. I remember I had a teacher once uh, in college. I was in a film class, and he was like, that guy's tasteless. You watch his movies, they're all tasteless. And he said it, talk about piss and vinegar. Yeah. Uh, And look, you're at a very uh, moldable age in college, so maybe that molded me. But it did, like, now when I watch his movies, there's always a distinct lack of taste. Social taste, uh, yeah, of course, <laughs> but more just, like, authorial taste. Ironically, <laughs> The Hand is the most nuanced film I've ever seen. From Oliver Stone. Now, this is the film. Talk to me, yes. This is the film, and I'm saying this is Oliver Stone's most nuanced film. This is the film that stars Sir Michael Caine. <laughs> you might know him from The Dark Knight. Hannah and her sisters. Hannah and her sisters. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. The cider hand rules. Uh, Academy, Jaws Academy for... Award winner? Yeah, Academy. Not at that point, but... but, but from hand to Sir Michael Caine mm-hmm. benighted includes himself hitting himself in the crotch with his own stump because his severed hand has crawled up his pant leg to try to kill him and this is the most nuanced Oliver Stone film <laughs> I've ever seen well, when I saw that moment <laughs> when Michael Caine is writhing on the ground Using his prosthetic stump, a fake thing, to beat a fake hand, another fake thing. And he is fully committed. 100%. And then six years later goes on to teach a class called Acting in Film. With Hans. No, Hans. Oh, I thought you said Hans. Hans. Yeah, I was like, was that the name of one of the students? No, I mean, like, he... In that moment, when I saw that moment, I was just like, this is when the movie's hitting, just peak. Mm. Uh, 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 wacky. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I loved it. And I thought, how can you tell when an actor is committed <laughs> and not committed? Like, I was like, 
I could have seen a version of this scene where Michael Caine is walking through that, but what would it look like? I know it's not this, because no. what I'm seeing is just full true commitment. And he's admitted this was a paycheck movie for him. But does that mean he's going to phone it in? No, because he's a fucking professional. Is that what it is? Like, yeah. there's that joke in PCU, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, where somebody's <laughs> like, you can flip through the channels and no matter, it was somebody has a yeah. dissertation. It's funny that no matter what, if you're flipping through cable, you'll find either a movie with Michael Caine or Gene Hackman. Yeah, yeah. Now, the big paycheck story I couldn't tell uh, kind of uh, anecdote that I know is about Gene Hackman where Ben Stiller talks about how the Poseidon adventure meant everything to him. And when they worked on the Royal Tenenbaums, him and Gene Hackman, he said, Hey, um, I loved Poseidon adventure. I loved you and Poseidon adventure and Gene Hackman, maybe not in a, a rude way or whatever, but it was just like, that was a paycheck movie. Oh, I thought you meant, the Poseidon Adventure meant everything to Gene Hackman. Oh, <laughs> Wouldn't so, that be the best? I was so set up to be happy. No, like, no, no. Oh. So Ben Stiller says that to Gene yeah. Hackman. Gene Hackman says that's a paycheck movie. Yeah. And Ben Stiller, his takeaway years later, and I thought that was, was pretty cool. And it's a way I look at paycheck roles when I watch actors do them. He said, I couldn't tell. Mm. I, I couldn't tell until Gene yeah. Hackman told me that that was a paycheck role. I, For me, I saw him fully committed. Mm. And I was like, that's the baby... PCU may drag on Gene Hackman and Michael Caine, but maybe what the thing about them is they might be prolific actors who sometimes do it for the paycheck, but maybe film by film, you can never tell the difference, which is well, says not, a lot. PCU is not wrong. I mean, those two really did, had a mid-career phase where they were doing a lot of paycheck movies. Do you think Tenenbaums was a paycheck movie for him? No, I think it was like a, uh, from what I can follow, like on documentaries and interviews, Wes Anderson wrote it for Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman didn't want to do it yeah. because he didn't want to do, he doesn't like doing characters that have been written for him because then he feels like the director, he's having to fight the director on what they envisioned and yeah. blah, 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 blah. But uh, uh, so it sounds like that was after much pushing he finally did it maybe then it became a paycheck thing like well make it interesting for me and then i'll do it oh so. well i rewrote it as harvey Keitel. now are you interested <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah to answer your question maybe what i mean simple it could have been it could well, have been if it's, if it's that same as poseidon adventure we wouldn't know that's right but you're so right man michael kane he's he's never not it is if you've ever seen his acting in film thing you can see his technique in this movie, but mm. it it's not a technique as tricks. It's an act like he's really engaged, you know? Yeah. He's a true uh, film actor who somehow uh, uh, managed to bring a true theater commitment. That's probably what Gene Hackman is. Yeah. Came up as an actor in New York theater in the yeah. 60s, late 50s and 60s. So his thing is like, well, I'd commit myself to every play, Why every performance yeah. and every play. Why wouldn't I do it uh, in film when it's like forever? It's so interesting. No to dicking be around. Watching a no movie like, it. like this and then reading so much detail on The Shining. And, you know, mm -hmm. everybody knows the lore of all the multiple mm -hmm. takes of The Shining. But to hear that Nicholson at some point was figuring out that he wouldn't even try for a number of the early takes because he knew he had to pace himself and that... Mm that he had to save options mm. and to think, you know, something like the hand or a Clint Eastwood movie, you go in and you got to 
kind of get it in probably pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, that has to be two completely different. Uh, I mean, uh, that's I get what's pretty cool about actors. They, you know, they're sort of like I guess uh, they got to deliver when it's time to deliver. Always, yeah, and figure and out how to do it. The story about. Oliver Stone saying, hey, let's do another take. I want this from you. And Michael Caine would tell him, well, you've already got it. Check the dailies. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. already done it for you. And well, because I thought about, uh, that was in Brantley's notes about how he was like, yeah, Oliver Stone would ask him to do so. He's like, all right, I already did it. Check the dailies. And then Oliver Stone would be like, I checked later. and But I recognize I was like a first time director. And Michael Caine's worked so many times as Sony director. So you think about the patience Michael Caine probably had when yeah. he's like, I don't think you're ever going to use this uh, shot, this thing you're setting up of me uh, opening a closet door or whatever. Okay. Uh, but uh, it reminded me uh, once of, um, I don't know if I ever shared this, but once when uh, um, our the Sloppy Boys and Don't Stop or We'll Die were doing this like small weekend of shows from like New York and Washington DC and Philadelphia and we'd be sharing a van and two of the musicians uh, were real deal professional musicians uh, who are great I mean Zarukian yeah. Tony Thaxton yeah. uh, uh, great uh, uh, listeners of the pod and yeah. great uh, people overall truly uh, truly but we uh, truly, truly, yes, yes, yes. But we would be talking about um, how do you, how do you think we should go about merchandise and touring and dealing with the people who book the venues, and then when we get there, the soundtracks. Well, I think it's this way. And the, a couple days into this, I realized Tony and Amin, who've been on like so many tours that are like huge the restraint that they had of just like, not like always yeah. pointing out how, what we're thinking is wrong. Yeah. And I was thinking, uh, now talk about blue. This is a little blue. Um, but I was thinking about how in their position, it's like driving around in a van with a bunch of virgins and hearing all of them go, I heard they like it when you lick their vagina. <laughs> It's just like a guy who's had like sex for decades being like, mm. okay. Yep, that's right, guys. Guys, I don't know how to break this to you, but I've had sex for decades. I know when I said that, that sounds like a person who has one sex for decades. Me. Oh, completely inexperienced like, near no, virgin like being like, <laughs> yeah, and a cool dude who's had sex for decades. Like Sting, who's had one session of sex for 10 over 10 years yeah i heard he the last time sting ejaculated was right before synchronicities that's, uh, by, true. that's true by that was police. in brantley's notes <laughs> and he's been holding on to that i think until when he was writing some music for um uh of the um what was the uh late 90s disney animated feature he did um, no it wasn't Disney, was it? Was it the El Dorado, the City of Gold one? No. I think he eventually went over to that, but he had written some music for the movie that eventually uh, became the David Spade. Oh, Emperor's um, New Groove? Yeah, Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Well, 
there were some behind the scenes difficulties, I guess, where I he had written a bunch of music, then they changed the format of the cartoon and he was left over and he didn't like what it was saying um, anymore, the original intention. And he ch checked a hotel room and he used his right hand to drag it. <laughs> All because the Emperor's New Groove took a different path. Yeah, so it went from synchronicity to Emperor's New Groove's new path. Wow, uh, man. Hollywood history is fucking crazy. Oh, and the Hollywood? When Hollywood and the music world intersects? When those two nuts collide? You know, when he had his first child, it was because he had, had held back for 10 years as well. And That's why his kid's a genius. Now. And it's huge. What is this podcast episode we're doing, Matt? <laughs> Filled with piss vinegar and... Welcome, first-time hand listeners. Okay, let's get into this baby. Yeah, now you talked about the that Orion logo, baby. Oh, first of all, yeah, you're getting classic Orion oh, with now, James Horner Scorner. That's right. You mentioned yeah. the Horner Scorner. Yeah. I love this score. It seems... Proto the thing at times, frankly. It's falling right between the shining and the thing, which yeah. is kind of like the really the only part that kind of uh, was affecting outside of um, the very end when he opens the trunk door and that flashlight's on his face. That was really scary to me. That affected me. Yeah. The other affecting part was when he's in that meeting and he stands up and he looks over the book being opened uh, and it's all scrawled oh, yeah, up with his yeah. agent and Charles Fleischer yeah. and the music's going like ding. It doesn't. It's that Horner kind of thing where it doesn't yeah. even sound like instruments. It yeah. sounds like metal, yeah. like getting. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's the aliens, dude. Go, uh, James yeah. Horner. Yes. Yes. Okay, so yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that like music at the beginning with the oh, Orion logo, yeah. perfect. Yeah. No, I ask a question. Does Orion? I don't think it has. Maybe its own. In terms of logo, loco. I don't think it has its own music. Music. I don't think so either because I always think it's TriStar, but it's Orion because yeah. they're all coming out of the heavens. Remember that time we ranked all the opening logos from the ground into the stratosphere? <laughs> <laughs> we, there was work that needed to be done and we did it. Yeah. Because... Yes, every Orion movie I think about, the music is the score of the movie. That's interesting. So, um, because uh, um, the one for me is uh, uh, Orion. Uh, like, as the little O is forming. And it's cool because I think once somebody knows it, they start scoring to the theme. So it's like... Boom, 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 as it's for, yeah. forming the O. And it's like... Stand all together and all for one, the three oh, amigos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's Randy Newman? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. But Robocop is another Orion logo I think of. And. Is pl Platoon? Platoon? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Orion, just so, so people know, is a pretty badass studio. Mike Metavoy, who uh, was the agent for a lot of the new Hollywood filmmakers, like uh, Steven Spielberg, he ran uh, United Artists when it was in its peak glory in the mid to late 70s. He bopped off to start Orion on his own with some other United Artists people. And post him leaving is when United Artists essentially bankrupted with Heaven's Gate. 
So if you wanted to kind of see any vestiges of what New Hollywood was trying to do in the 80s, you can see a lot of like uh, Orion movies are doing that. They're making like cool anti-establishment establishment movies like RoboCop. Or, and The Hand. Yeah, The Hand. But it is like filmmakers first. Yeah. And so you can tell that, I guess, they stuck with them for a while and they believed in them. Uh, Jonathan Demi also really benefited with Mike Metavoy being on his side, Orion too, and audiences too. They get like some movies like Something Wild and some Silence oh, yeah. of the Lambs and stuff. Just really, when you look back at 80s movies and they seem so either kind of corporate or formulaic to get little touches of, uh, of true kind of like personal filmmaking. Uh, anyway, so like, I do feel like Orion, uh, with the hand it sort of misses its target, but at least they gave him the too bad because the, the sequel opportunities of like the foot, the thigh, the nose, the hand too. There's two hands. Oh, you can yeah, lose the hand the other too. Hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other hand. The other hand. Oh. <laughs> the chin, the nick, the I my first note is about logo loke, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I I spelled L O with a bar over at C like tone loke. You know logo loke. Oh, I know tone loke. Okay. Would you believe? What time is it now? 12.34. I was dropping my daughter off at 8 a.m., 8.15 this morning. Listening I specifically to put Cole on Medina? Funky Cold Medina. We were listening really? to Really? Yeah. How crazy. Yeah, Tone Loke. Well, my second note <laughs> is is Coe's, spelled C-O with the line over it, Z. Okay, hold up. We got to trademark this. We got to yeah. register circle R this yeah. immediately. Coes. Coes with the, oh. it's not an umlaut. It's a line. This, That's the yeah. slogan, by the yeah. way. It's not an umlaut. It's a line. <laughs> Motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> See, I'm badass this episode. Yeah, you are We're badass. Just have to get, I got a chip on my shoulder. I'm full of piss and vinegar and I got, uh, I got stuff to prove. I know why. Why? Because the lesson of the hand is dare not repress that's right. Dare not repress. So you're saying, yes, I hear you. Yeah. I If I'm feeling up some piss and some vinegar, I'm going to share it. Otherwise, who knows how, what unconscious ways it's going to come out. Absolutely. Now, uh, Matt, when you said that this is uh, relating uh, to the shining of sort of a disintegrating uh, marriage. Now, what's cool about the hand is like there's no adaptation anything that's dreamt up is from oliver stone's addled brain there is an adaptation of the hand it's a book called the lizard's tale what (laughs) yes that's why it didn't say written and directed by oliver stone because he's adapting it from a book he did and uh in fact that's also part of why you see the lizard's tale in the beginning where you're like (sighs) oh kind of that's a Sort of foreshadowing. Of I see, I see. Damn, because I was just hoping all of these like crazy like mm. wives and girlfriends were just from uh, Oliver Stone's unconscious. I think, though, <laughs> that's what I was saying. I think there's a fa- this feels so autobiographical, and I have to say, in the in the way that um, what did we watch that was so oh the the way the room the movie the room is like he puts himself up on such a pedestal and he's such a pure hearted, melodramatic, no gray area, good guy. And his vixen of a wife is just two timing. Well, this is the comparison I was leading up to. And it's actually the complete opposite of the room and kind of the opposite of the hand in that it's like a perfect execution of this idea. We love this movie. 
we've discussed it before on the podcast. Can you? It came out like a couple years before. It's also about a divorced couple with one child and the uh, sort of uh, the wife is involved with a guru. And the brood. Yeah. Yes. This is totally the brood. Yes. And psychoplastics. Is that Psychoplasmatics or Psychoplasmatics. Yeah. You got the Origin Institute. What is that? Like, I love late 70s cults. Yes. But yeah, right, right, right. And the like um, the kind of virtuous. I mean, this gets a little bit more observed. I think you're not supposed to think Michael Caine is entirely up on a pedestal like the brood. I mean, no. I love the brood, but no. we were the main complaint we have about it is just like, well, the character is not interesting because the writer has a total lack of curiosity about how he could be contradicting himself in this. It's yeah. just like fully like, I'm right. The ex-wife is wrong. And this is the same thing. It's yeah, just like, for sure. And then I love that it's the fling who drops by the student who just like drops by like a dream, like a vision drops by and knocks on his door and says, she wants to have sex. I, <laughs> this is the insight that Oliver Stone brings when creating a female uh, character. She complains that this guy never stares at her ass. But you, you, Michael Caine, you stare at my ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean, women are noticing, whether they're being looked at and uh, uh, basing their entire worldview on, and relationships yeah, on the, how men look at them. It's rough. Now, the... the <laughs> trajectory of this movie in the beginning I thought he actually did a pretty decent job of giving both Michael Caine and Anne the wife flaws and unlikable traits but also admirable traits so I couldn't quite figure out who was going where with what true then and so that's when this movie's at its most cozy he's he's a cartoon comic illustrator in a little like converted greenhouse out on a lake in the mountains so this whole opening... Oh, I, this is the dream. Yeah, 45, first 45 minutes of this movie. Oh, I was perfection. like, this is me and Matt's dream. That yeah. There's a separate little section outside of a house oh, yeah. where you go and you do your little art. And then... You, but when you walk between the little art place to your main house... You're surrounded by trees. And your daughter. And your daughter comes out and just like walks along with you. Yes. It's heaven. And you look over and there's a lake. You look down, there's grass. It's just heaven. The first part of this movie is heaven. Then he gets his arm cut off and I'm still so into the movie because then you're getting into the like schlocky horror thriller elements, yes. which is beautiful. When he goes to the cabin is when this movie starts to lose me because of the student stuff. And that character, like you said, is so just what what sexual fantasy did Oliver Stone have the night before that he's like, wakes up and goes, Hey, that'll do. Uh, <laughs> then it gets me when it gets back into the climax of the movie with him fighting with himself and everything. So the, yes, this isn't a perfect movie, obviously. But the fact that that off ramp you just discussed is him going to another cabin. Yes, I know. It's pretty cozy. With two trees like, growing through up the front roof. Yeah. So it's oh. not like he's going, leaving a one cozy situation for hell. It's like no. he's going to another cozy thing. No, but it, I it was just, like. It gets sluggish around that time because the whole movie is kind of like. He's just really scared about like his wife and daughter leaving him, I guess, and yeah, wanting to keep them close. So when he goes and says, I'm leaving with out you and leaving them there 
And then when they come back out and he's like, I thought you were going to stay with me. I'm not saying that character's like, now, 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 you're being contradictory. I just like, the movie doesn't understand like that it's, it really just like out on uh, a uh, miss that mid portion is just really strange because <laughs> yeah it, it it goes away from whatever his uh yeah i think there's the some purpose he felt in the beginning uh, studio meddling in this as well um but well, it, now that you say it's a story too i wonder if there's just sort of some i mean when that little blonde or whatever uh student stella stella shows up um it didn't make me think from like 1967 to 1983, I would say most, if not all, okay, that's an exaggeration, uh, the like main romantic plot in a story is Emma, kind of crusty old guys giving up on life. Yeah. Hey, who are you? I'm a little ray of sunshine who's got some spark in her. Oh, uh, you, well, you wouldn't want anything to do with I want to fuck you and you're giving me hope again. Yeah. Like, that is... I hate most movies when I go back and watch them for that period because they end up being like, I gotta watch Charlton Heston's bespeckled back, bare back, get on top of whatever ingenue... And it's not just like that's gross looking. It's also that the story is so fucking boring. Well, I don't care whatever from, midlife crisis yeah, exactly that, that studio uh, exec was going through. And he was like, oh, uh, maybe I shouldn't have uh, fucked that actress on the casting couch instead of being married to my wife in Beverly Hills. It's like that's every story comes down to this. So I'm just like, so we're sitting through this, huh? By the way, I thought you said Charlton Heston's bespectacled bareback, and I was like, "Wait, well, he has I think I did." On his back? And no, I, I don't think you did. Well, talk about pissing vinegar. I, I love it. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Will, of course uh, I do. No, this movie is is that's why this movie loses me at that point, and it's not any kind of like high horse or anything because there's a version of that that happens in life. There's a version below, of that that yes. are that's good. This is just very clearly Oliver Stone. It's all wish, wish fulfillment mm-hmm. as opposed to the rest of the movie that is just so cozy, slow and, and kind of like bizarre, but within the realm of, of, uh, no, I won't say believability by any means, but just, uh, relatability yes. in the beginning. Yes. I know when, um, even during the schlock after his hand was taken off, I, I was like, Oh, I'm still just really connected to the feeling that this is uh, giving me, and I agree with you that uh, 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 um, the um, that it, 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 it like um, the illustrating job yeah. that he has, Mandro, yeah, Mandro, that like totally buoys uh, bullies the movie. For the rest of the movie. I'm just like, any scene that goes back to like, he's in the office with his agent talking about the illustrations or or he's doing any, he's having an argument with his wife about, I'm like, this is automatically goes from like a C minus to A plus because I just find that world so interesting. Oh, I'm like, why can't every 
person's job in every movie be comic book illustrator or illustrator. Well, what's the movie where the guy's a poster illustrator? Like, well, it's in? in The Mist. The Mist, yeah. And in right. Gremlins, another yeah. movie we mentioned, he yeah. wants to, he's an right. illustrator. But the fact that he loses his hand and he's an illustrator. That's actually, yeah, I, I guess mean, tied it, in pretty It's amazing, close. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that, 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 uh, it made me think what a writer has to put their surrogate in. Usually they do. He's in advertising or something because yeah, it's like they elevate themselves or or lateral. It, it, it offers still a creative element, yeah. like like oh the person's in uh, advertising, so you still get to see like the creator process or whatever. Or, yeah, or like Kevin Klein is a composer in yes, scenting adults with and Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. With Corley and Rust. What's your favorite <laughs> surrogate for because yeah. there is musician songwriter there is visual uh, artist uh-huh illustrator novelist right. um i mean i might go with this it's yes you get is music's decent because you get to hear it novelization isn't really great because you rarely get to kind of experience the novel the way it should be but a comic strip to see the procedural of a comic strip being drawn and him using actual pen and ink dipping and he's using this flat tipped nib that I remember from high school when I take graphic design classes and regional occupation program training classes Mm -hmm. that you dip it in and it just has this broad flat circle nib to, to fill in big spaces of black ink. And he's doing his own inking lettering illustrating writing. He does it all, Uh, which I think is pretty rare. Maybe not for a comic strip, but at first I thought he was, because there were so many panels, I thought he was an actual comic book artist, but. And now Oliver Stone as a co-screenwriter of the Conan movies and yes, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Mando is a total Conan. Yeah. So I, I love that too, that like Oliver Stone is like, okay, he's a, he does a comic book and it's Mando, like a Conan, the barbarian yeah. kind of figure. And then he goes one step forward. It's like, what he likes about Mando is Mando doesn't show his feelings. Well, that's the funny thing is you think it would have been the other way around where they bring in some hotshot who's like, we don't need all those feelings. Let's just get blood and guts in there. But Michael Caine's like, no, Mando doesn't think. 
he yeah. he decide, he acts, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, this is all some sort of like whatever was going on with the brood and Kramer versus Kramer, whatever. Just like the idea of like what is my position now in this uh, changing yeah. world. I mean, the, there's whatever. It's pretty dumb, but at the end, there's a part where uh, um, what he's talking to Bruce McGill at the bar, and he's like, "You're gonna find out." who are you and who really are you? I was like, oh, the thing came out a year later, whatever this preoccupation is of like nailing down what your actual values are. Yeah. Also, Oliver Stone, I think, uh, is just the consummate like boomer filmmaker. Yeah. And if you look at like people who were, um, have really wide appeal uh, is like Oliver Stone and James Cameron and Spike Lee are all these filmmakers from this period who are make such strong, compelling, entertaining work. I mean, they're above all like just so exhilarating movies to watch Mm -hmm. but they all come with this like really statement of purpose or like this is how I see things and I'm laying out the movie to show you how I experience the world which is like really captivating but it's not the most interesting for me it's like when somebody's like oh I'm trying to like bring up how things are confusing or ambiguous or things aren't clear cut. They're often gray. That's just a more interesting zone for me. So like, yeah, I agree. JFK. I love, I think it's like a masterpiece, but I also know it as like the insane, like manifesto of like, you know, so, so (laughs) yeah, it's a masterpiece by uh, someone who's not tethered to reality. Most for, at least for the making of that film. I mean, it, it it that movie's baffling to me because it is so compelling, but it's so sure about such bullshit. Yeah, I mean it's crazy because like Martin Scorsese, Spielberg, Coppola, they all have that same sort of like complete control of the medium, but their intent isn't to get a sentence across. I I, I don't know how to yeah. put it, but like JFK is like getting sentences across and believe me JFK is the movie I love to like put on and just have on while I'm yeah it's doing amazing so, yeah. and, and it's, I'm not even discounting like some mystery I, I hesitate to say conspiracy even I'm, I'm such a skeptic of all that because conspiracy theorists ruin it for me so much I can't even yeah. I can't even really fully accept credible conspiracy evidence when I've seen it because a, the simplest solution just seems the most likely. Mm-hmm. He pulled it off. Not to get into this, but no, please. But the fact, that, hey, I think an Oliver Stone episode usually you got to yeah. talk something about whatever his the case may be, the reality or the the believability or the feasibility, even of there being a conspiracy. Put that aside. Stone's conspiracy is absolute horseshit, and yet it's so. Well, it's that like it, pure it, fiction. Yeah, that's it, why it's so. It's it's like yes. watching a Tarantino alternate history, like Hitler in the movie theater in Inglorious Bastards, to me. 
even though that's not the intention where Tarantino's is. Yeah. You know, Tarantino knows it's not. Well, that's, that's funny because I, in my mind, I do put kind of on the two poles. There's Oliver Stone on one end and then there's Quentin Tarantino on the other end. And maybe that became clear when Natural Born Killers was written by Tarantino. And then yeah. what Oliver Stone made, and I remember Tarantino in an interview saying at the time, oh, when you go to an Oliver Stone movie, he wants you to come away thinking one thing. And that's just not how I approach things. Yeah, yeah. Like, I agree. And so it is funny that there is revisionism, but the revisionism, like Oliver Stone's doing his own revisionism. But what's cooler, I think, and better and more interesting that Tarantino is doing is like by killing Hitler or the saving, a, a, like whatever, doing any kind of revisionist stuff. You're like putting your cards on the table. You're like showing yeah. people like, yeah, it's easy to trick you into something like Oliver Stone, 100%. I think, is like wants you to go home and like think that was like a research paper, a term uh, paper you read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even this with the like, to go back to the hand, the deliberateness of Michael Caine's character, I thought to myself, I was like, Oliver Stone's characters don't arc. They don't necessarily like start as one thing and then they become this and then they change and they kind of fuse who they were and what they became together. It, his characters are always like, they become, and I love it, it's insane, but they just become more mm. of what they are. Like Scarface or whatever. It's just like a Midnight Express that he was writing around this time. It's like, they're one thing and throughout the movie, they just become more and more and more and more of that. Yeah. And uh, uh, so by the end, yeah, like a, a head jumps out of a back seat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, real quick, speaking of obsessive directors, will you tell the story of what uh, you were a half hour late today? And I'm not bringing this up to shame you. I'm bringing this up to compliment you because well, and I, uh, I think you should tell this quick little story. Yes, and I told you uh, uh, I will share this story in exchange because I, I didn't like being late. I was like... Uh, no, this is, ever there is a reason to be late. <laughs> well, and also, uh, yes, so... Um, I did think about this when you were talking about, uh, okay, okay, okay. So <laughs> when I was talking about what, uh, oh, oh, just what Jack Nicholson was saying. Yes, oh, so yeah. Pre yeah. Prepare. Uh, so, yeah. oh, okay. So, uh, previously on with Gorley and Rust, <laughs> I've mentioned that once I was taking a stroll, uh, and I saw, uh, uh, David Fincher, uh, uh, the great filmmaker who, we're doing one of his movies this season. Yeah, a legend, yeah. le a living legend, truly. Uh, walked by him. I was like, oh, that's cool. David Venture out for a walk. Uh, then, of course, started rehearsing in my mind what I would have told him, what I would have said to him. And then I was like, next time, next time I see him, then I'll be able to deliver this clearly pre-rehearsed uh, diatribe. So I'm driving to our podcast recording and I drive down the street and it's a couple, two or three blocks away from my home. And I see him walking down the sidewalk and I just, you know, I did the cool thing. I just kept driving and I came to your house. No, uh. I stopped, <laughs> turned around and was like, Paul, it is so not cool to put over to the side of the road and get out in front of him. Be cool. Go back to your house and wait outside your house for him to walk by. 
that's much more chill. <laughs> so I drive back home and I wake my house and I peek out to see him slowly approaching. Is he by himself? No, he's with a, a woman. And uh, so I. Uh, uh, a dog is again, again or no? Nope. No dog. He was never with a dog. Oh. I was with the dog. Oh, the you were with. Story. That's right. Yeah, okay, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, but I bet if he was walking dog, it'd probably be Cujo. Ugh. He's so twisted. Have you seen his movies? Uh, so, uh, 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 and I'm waiting kind of outside and looking down and he's like a block and a half away. This sounds so fucking like I'm going to murder John Lennon. No, like a Mark David Chapman. I drank here. out of Javier Bardem's coffee cup the other day. <laughs> okay. What? I'll tell that after. Please. Okay. Uh, hey, there wasn't one giant rat inside it, was there? Uh-huh. Uh, so, what? it came a point where I was like, this is the last time you look, because he's going to eventually get so close that if you look, it'll be now too close to not say something. You got to wait until yeah. a true... It's like, stay on target, stay, hold, hold, hold. 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 And... Uh, I look down, I'm waiting, and I see movement coming down the sidewalk. So I'm like, here he comes. And I look up, and it's my wife with our dog. <sighs> Do you think it was a mirage? You never <laughs> saw him in the first place? So what happened was, I can only imagine, he was going to cross the street that got onto my block. And instead of going across that street, he crossed to another <sighs> block. And... Uh, I can only imagine it's not fate. It's just I was giving off such sweaty, desperate vibes. He, not, didn't, he didn't perceive that. He, no, he just, I meant into the universe. Yeah. Like the universe was saying, it, it kind of felt like, um, you know, that part in Groundhog Day when Bill Murray's trying to have like the sporadic moment with yeah. Andy McDowell. Yeah, she can sense the. Yeah, yeah. he's like, oh, here's Snowman City. Oh, and yeah. here come the kids. We got to throw snowball. That's what it felt like. So, gotcha. When Leslie showed up, and I was like, she was like really excited. I was like, oh, damn. she was like, oh my god, that's so cool. And then, where, where, where? And I was like, I didn't even... and uh, she was like, you know what? It's for the best. Yeah. Well, I want to hear what you w would have said to him or will say to him at some point. So I'm David Fincher. I'm walking down the street. I'm talking to this woman, going, uh, yeah. When I, uh, dir dude, directed, dude, what? I am just like Tyler Durden. Oh, fucking take a break, man. You're the whole reason I wish I never made that movie. Police, <laughs> citizens arrest. <laughs> what would you say to him? Oh, I can't say on the mic too. That would you, I would rather have you record me like jacking off. Well, it's got to be one or the it. other. So get to work. Here, take Somebody's my like, hand. <laughs> I'm sure a snarky listener is like, isn't most of this podcast listening to you jack off from <laughs> yes, Rusty? They'd be right to us both. Uh, okay. Well, to be continued, I think. Yeah, so let's hear the Javier Bardem. Well, he was on Conan, and, you know, he's one of, if not the best Bond villain ever to play a Bond villain. Yes. I couldn't, couldn't have been cooler. Couldn't have been nicer. Of course. Couldn't have been more down-to-earth, friendlier. Down-to-earth, but also still got that charisma. Oh. Charisma for days. He can't drop that movie Star Charm if he wanted to. No, it's in him. Forget it. He was so friendly and he left. And when when the guest leaves, there's four chairs in the studio. 
they always have me move into the guest chair for camera reasons when we do our three person oh, uh-huh. segments and intros. And so we were doing a, a segment and uh, I looked down and noticed Javier Bardem's coffee cup was still there with like maybe like a half inch of coffee. And I just went, yeah, fuck it. And I drank from Javier Bardem's coffee cup. That's how, I that's how it's much like- Kool-Aid I was swallowing of, of Javier Bardem. Oh my god, I love it because it, it almost seems like then you would get his like power source. I maybe that's what my piss and vinegar is today. I mean, the, he's not a piss and vinegar guy. He couldn't be more laid back. No, but you but, just have, it turns you into what you most feel like you have to be in that moment. So somebody else could have drunk, uh, taken a drink, and then oh, um, yeah, you know, uh, turned around and. Uh, Flown their first plane. <laughs> <laughs> it could be all the coffee I've had today too. That's something. Uh, Do you feel like um, you're Soren? S O A R I N apostrophe at uh, Disneyland's California. California Adventure. Yeah, I am. I feel like I'm smelling fake pine trees and orange groves. They don't have that anymore, do they? With did they get rid of the? Well, it's not California anymore, right? Isn't it like you go all over the world in Disney and stuff? I haven't been on Soren in so long, but I know California Adventure moved away a little bit more from the California part. But does that mean Soren did as well? I think now it's Soren over Kierkegaard. <laughs> what? Well, his first the name's awesome? Soren. Oh. Yes, I think it's one of those O's with a diagonal slash through it. I was like, I'd like to apologize. I didn't know uh, Disneyland owned Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Sauron. Oh yeah, Sauron over California. <laughs> now we're going. See, that's better. Uh, uh, so the uh, uh, oh, can I just share with you the the first time I saw uh, the hand was uh, I, I saw a little bit of it when I was a kid when I was like ten years old. Do tell. It was on TNT. Okay. And uh, uh, Friday night, Saturday nights at home. Hey, you know, one night might be a sleepover, but the other night is at home with your parents and it's cool. Uh, Because my older sisters would either be at work or out um, with friends. And so I had this kind of like lovely period of five years where it's like dad makes steaks on the grill with baked potatoes and sour cream, butter and vegetables like uh, asparagus and we'd sit down, we eat, and then we'd go and we'd either rent a movie or turn on cable. Jesus. Do you and know just how find... many movies I'm going to watch with my daughter? She'll hate me. I can't wait. I mean, I already am, but uh, we watch. Yes, I watch as many as so my, much my wife together. will allow, and I don't mean my wife is a taskmaster. My wife has a good sense of of how much is too much screen time. Oh, but if oh, it were yeah. up to me, I'd be like. Should we check out BBC's eight-part series of Smiley's People? <laughs> Glenn? Okay, Moana again, I understand. Uh, anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, it's uh, perfect. It's like the best thing on earth. Uh, uh, I agree. But the, uh, when I was growing up, so on Saturday nights, we would just turn on cable sometimes. Oh, and just... TBS and TNT, they're like library of like, or USA, but more so TBS, TNT, they're library of like, MGM, Warner Brothers uh, collections yeah. w- really had great genre stuff like Monster Vision and uh, um, Joe Bob Briggs mm-hmm. and assorted things. And so we turned on uh, The Hand and it really is just kind of like one of those just like uh, idyllic childhood moments where it was like, 
we only watched like the first 25 minutes, mm. but I loved it when my parents, like I told you, thriller and whorehounds, uh, more thriller and suspense, but when we'd be flipping through and they'd find something they were into that was scary, it was like, this is awesome. They're into this, I'm into this, and for the next two hours, I am going to be awake. It's... <laughs> It's true. Now the half it's hour, a given. the half hour was only because I think we probably turned it off to watch Saturday Night Live or something like okay. that. That would happen, uh, you know. Yeah. But uh, but I remember, and it was so fun to watch a movie, particularly in kind of a mystery science theater oh, sort of yeah. way, where we could have laughs at it. So this idea of Michael Caine in this ridiculous movie where a hand gets attached. So we watched the first couple attacks. I get walk into the thing. I remember all those yeah. things in my head. And then, uh, uh, um, yeah, just uh, laughing at kind of the effects of the hands being sort of... But I remember my mom telling me, she's like, oh, Oliver Stone directed those. Oh, wow. <laughs> so those are the two bookends. Uh, uh, oh. But um, why was it? Oh, so yeah, this is the... Time I saw this, but the uh, can we uh, also Carlo Rambaldi who did I just I only bring it up because I just kind of crapped on the cheesy hand effects I said, but he didn't like how the cinematographer was photographing them. I think he's right. No, when I was watching exactly, I was like, oh, this just is lit and looks like and framed like they shit. Built what twenty separate mechanical hands a million dollars of the five something million dollar budget went to hands and none of it ended up on the screen none of the hand stuff really looks that great there's a couple it's still always relying on the like the wrist is just out of frame effect yeah, like yeah. i don't know at what point they needed 20 like I you don't ever see like a motorized hand like going once or twice yeah but but not a million dollars worth. And Carlo Rombaldi, he's like the shit. Like I said, he made E.T. He created yeah. E.T. and stuff. So yeah, like... Uh, surprising. Yeah. Um, and then even when it... I think it was a lot of it was lighting and framing because the it looked so rubbery and latexy. Remember when last week we were talking about the thing? It was like, wow. Uh, Rob Bottin, yeah. um, Dean Cundy, mm-hmm. John Carpenter. They're all in like this pocket of like, yeah. how are we going to make this look good? And... The first moment when it's in the field, after it's been cut off and it goes into the field and you see it crawling through. And it, oh, you mean when it has its own point of view? Yes. Camera? Jaw style? Yeah. <laughs> Pointer finger of view? Yeah. Now, yeah. what is it? Is it on a finger or is it on a knuckle? Because, uh, because the, I, where's the go cam place? I never knew. I mean, I, at a certain point, I'm starting to figure out, oh, this is just his like repressed vision we're seeing Uh there's not really a hand but for a while you're you're supposed to believe that there's a hand it is weird too that they they telegraph the ending with him in the bar with what's that actor's name i forget bruce mcgill bruce mcgill and him saying it's you're repressed you're doing this basically why telegraph that when you're going to kind of try to reveal it as a twist at the end is it because people would have figured it out it was it, weird, but yeah, I agree. I agree. But it, there was, I do have a lot of notes that were nullified by the ending that were, you know, magoily snarky notes of, Oh, this hand finger walked from Vermont to New York and then to California. And Oh, this hand has a, you know, a point of view and Oh, what a ring. I'm sure we won't see that on a hand walking around, which, which you don't, but I thought, why would they show that ring and then not 
have it on the hand the whole time, but it was because the hand wants it back. But anyway. And he puts it on a pillow for him. Yeah. Yeah. The Well, in terms of it traveling, you know, the hand does have a thumb. And so it can hitchhike. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, remember, I've told this. Or it could take a thumb drive. Yes, that that would be the remake. Or yeah, uh, uh, briefly recap. Why this. didn't it travel like this? Like the I know, like know, the Adams family thing. Yeah, because oh, I guess it's because the Adams family already did that. Well, well I'll briefly resum because I know I told this story about the gym teacher who started our class in like fifth or sixth grade by going like he obviously had just come from a conversation with like teachers and was trying to like bring it back to students now so he's like who remembers the Adams family mm. and he's like an idiot <laughs> so he doesn't know that an Adams family movie had just come out like the last year <laughs> so we're like yeah and he goes remember the uh, the guy who answered the door what was his name well, like, and usually he was kind of scary and mean so we're just like mm, this is, why is he starting this gym class being so nice talking about it. where's this going and so he goes and we're like, lurch, lurch, right? And he's like, yeah. And then there, there was Wednesday and Pugsley. <laughs> he goes, and who remembers? He's got like a little devilish, like, and who remembers? And he puts up his hand and kind of wiggles it. And he goes, hand. <laughs> and we're all like, we had just seen the movies in the last year. So we're like, it's called thing, but uh, we're not going to correct our teacher on the our uh, scary teacher so it is funny that these two movies are the thing and the hand uh that's what he confused he called it yeah he called thing hand who remembers its cousin it's the cousin <laughs> go pez oh, uh, oh, you idiot i used to, um the girl that plays the daughter was also Joan Crawford's daughter yes. in Mommy Dearest. And I used to substitute teach at Flintridge Sacred Heart Academy, all girls Catholic high school, where the real Christina Crawford went well before I taught there, but it was Whoa. So, sort of famous. Yeah. For that. Damn. So the one who then later wrote the yes. memoir that became yeah. Mommy Dearest or was titled right. Mommy Dearest. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I saw that girl, I was like, I know that this face. actress is. Yeah. Amazing face. Such a gives me such cozy vibes herself, you know? Yeah. 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 She has like a face that's like a uh, cherubic, like a yeah. perfect kind of movie kid face, but also has like the capacity to like show horror or something yeah. like on their face or, and she has similar hair to my daughter, Glenn, kind of curly, and uh-huh. poofy. Yeah yeah. 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 I know when they were sitting at the dinner table with uh, her, when they came to visit him in the cabin and they were, the three of them were sitting, uh, I had this kind of like feeling in my gut of like, is this going to go sideways? Is she not going to finish her food? Is Joan Crawford going to come in here and make her uh, go to bed and eat it in the next day? Oh yeah. Um, And the cat's name was Amanda in this movie. Did you catch that? Why does the cat jump through the window? Uh, Because of the hand. But yeah, that's but a later, good, good riddance of a cat. I love, I'm a cat person. I love cats. But if a cat gets scared and bursts through a window, you let that cat keep going. Well, in a, uh, and in a very uh, proto uh, Oliver Stone style, he does a little bit of the going to black and white kind of yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, and so right. when he goes, it goes to black and white, and then he has that interpretation of the cat jumping through the glass again, or, or he has a vision yeah. of what's happening. I 
loved all that, like whatever Oliver oh, Stone's acid trip, oh, like too. surrealism. But did you notice like really weird moment at the first restaurant scene with his agent or whatever, his publisher boss? It, he looks down at her lobster and, and the yeah. little claws. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't happen in real life, right? You're, no. It's not like, oh, when it gets out and the air pressure changes. So that is a complete straight up like... Hallucination. Hallucination. I believe so. And it's not cued with music no, or... they're not d- holding your hand through Visual that. distortion. Yeah. So I kind of like was let down then later when after he talks to Bruce McGill at the bar and he's walking down the street, the black and white looks stunning. I thought it was really cool when it would go to black and white. So I'm not kind of bitching about that necessarily. It was just when he would have visions then of the hand, like bursting through the glass and stuff. I was like, well, I was already on the surrealism train with that fucking lobster claw. So just stay on this. You don't need to like cue me that it's now a dream or a vision or black and white and then they try to bring it back at the end when he was it black and white when the shower faucet knobs Mm -hmm. turned to hands okay interesting yeah so and that for me felt like a post-production editorial salvage kind of like oh it's not coming across that it's a dream and and then the dream because the dream whatever logic or whatever it didn't make sense that it was like first from the hand but then it became just standard movie footage of the hand breaking like that's what I was like okay release the director's cut I say give me a, a director's Oliver Stone today he did it with Alexander yeah so why not do it with the hand go in there crazy older Oliver Stone <laughs> f- fresh off interviewing Putin Five, six years ago. Well, this is, yes, it feels like he, he said in Brantley's notes that he was going through a divorce. This is fully like, he's written Midnight Express, which he won uh, an Oscar for. And the fight he's having about they're changing my words and intentions, you can imagine. Yeah. That's his, uh, uh, what his wife had to hear all the time, like Alan Parker's changing Midnight Express, or yeah. no, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Um, in the category of, um, you know, when we were talking about The Brood and how the ex-wife is just one dimensional kind of monster. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, uh, maybe have her write some of the scenes and see if it looks a little different, you know, how you look a little different. Yeah. Uh, 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 the, um, uh, 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 the scene that, um, I thought was like most, uh, Oh, 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 the, the, uh, when we talked about the brood, it was sort of like the, that there's not even a point, and this is the argument you can make to life when it when you hear some dude, you know, complaining about a gal in his life who, you know, quote unquote went crazy. You can always say, dude, you fell in love with her. Dude, mm. you chose her. Dude, mm. you got into the really like that's always the component that's most interesting. And both the brood and uh, the hand have zero curiosity about why somebody would have an interest in a relation. Like yeah. he just, Michael Cade wakes up and his wife is just flat out. Like I'm leaving. He's like, what? And it's like, Oliver Stone, believe me. If your wife said, I'm having second thoughts, there were plenty of cues along the way, and I'm sure you were the bigger psychopath. Oh, for sure, because, yeah, you know that's him projecting on that. That's what's so amazing about The Shining, and we'll get into this in that season, but yes. the fact that 
Kubrick was originally thinking Jane Fonda for the role of Wendy, but then really stopped and thought about it. Why, Jane Fonda would never stay with this man. Someone like Jane Fonda would never put up with the bullshit. So it totally explains the casting of Shelley Duvall. Oh, right. Somebody would see the red flags before. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's always I the mean, big... It's, uh, it's, it's really... You know, the the stories of Shelley Duvall and Stanley Kubrick, the way he treated her, are pretty legion and throughout this book. But he he did seem to feel like she had a interesting look, but I think in his words was also annoying and, and wouldn't would put up with stuff from this man so she could keep him. That you know, that was his thinking. Yeah. And that's that's like you're saying, like they're exploring why these people would stay with each other, you know. Yes, right. That movie is like getting into the heart of like why do these two people? Yeah, uh, or, yeah. Um, or when is her breaking point? Because she's obviously <laughs> decides to leave him at a certain point. Yeah, um, it's interesting that yeah, it's a son and not a daughter in these. I don't know if that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but. Um, Oh, real quick on the black and white. I'm I'm with you on that. The one thing I did love about it was it would happen usually when the hand would appear. Mm. So it really gave me a B movie sci-fi fifties vibe that I really liked. That's what I liked when it became black and white. It yeah. just felt like, oh, this is like a fifties movie for yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It also kind of seemed like it was like his vision. Yeah. Like a dog, like the hand sees in black and white. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Except the only time there's point of view from the hand, it's in full color. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So just quickly about the hand thing. So, uh, 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 you know, Stanley Kubrick with the, with the shining, he, he, and chess and stuff, right? Right. Right. His big thing yeah. was in chess. If you really thought about what was going to happen 10 steps later, you wouldn't act on step one yeah and i would say oliver stone is an impulsive filmmaker yeah and so the fact that he didn't think eight steps ahead which is like is a hand attacking somebody cinematic (laughs) because it's always going to have to be up close to sell the effect or far away where it looks dumb and you'd also go then you go no i'm not going to write the the hand this is crazy. That would be a dumb movie. Yeah. Or you would go, is it really that interesting to see the main character be always completely detached from the action? And so there, you're always kind of this push and pull of like... Uh, no, the answer to all those is no. And that's why I love this movie is because it doesn't care and still does it anyway. I know. And it, and it just goes up from zero to 80 yeah. on this like idea that anybody else would kind of go like... Oh, it's going to be, the effect will be hard to pull off and it's just always going to be a hand. Yeah. Like oh, it, it, it never picks up a weapon. No, it could. Because it could. what's crazy is there's a shot and I know that this is again, Michael Caine's vision, but still you didn't have to shoot it this way. When he's wrestling with his own hand, there's one point where it's going for his throat and he's clenched with his good hand on this hand. Yes. But this hand is otherwise not held up by anything and is still pushing his whole body down. <laughs> it that... has no physical leverage. And I just love that. I get that's not happening. Yeah. But in Michael Caine's mind, yes. he's still not questioning the physics of this thing. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, and when the effect was bad, uh, you, the first time when it went into the field and it showed it kind of in the mud and it started yeah. crawling, it did kind of like totally whatever. Uh, the first twenty minutes are so solid that like it was a little kind of like blown in that because yeah. you're like oh now this yeah. is going to be a movie that doesn't deliver on that yeah I thought it was delivered yeah. on this but now I'm going to always have to be making compromises which was which yeah. is exactly the same thought process I had until I started to really enjoy how schlocky it was and then that took over after the stuff with the student was Let, let's get to that so well I, and the, you're right the schlock and the sincerity yes. of the schlock is really great yeah to the point that the is. end when he's in the garage i was like this is evil dead with no winking yeah and, no, and like yeah. evil dead realizes you need winking <laughs> what a like a hand is a dead because it's absurd right but i love that it has such and full I think I sincere the sincerity to be uh, honest. I hear you, buddy. I'm always going to love sincerity. Yeah. And even though Evil Dead 2 is a very sincere movie and what it wants to be, yes. I'm just saying, yes, 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 yes. I think sincerity with 20 years is perfection. Current yeah. stuff, when you see it, it needs to date and have sincerity for it to become enjoyable. But the man. most contemporary moment, to your point, of yeah. like, wow, this has aged really well. That moment when he hits the road at nighttime and listens to Debbie Harry. Oh, Union City Blues. And it becomes this like beautiful like night oh, kind of like, I was like, oh, God. oh, he's ahead of the curve by like before or around Michael Mann. The, this is like, thief. I knew I had fallen for this movie, but when a Blondie song comes on, I wanted to propose to this movie. I wanted to get down on my knees that might be have been the coziest moment when he was going to Reno to get away from the so he doesn't kill her and it went into Debbie Harry at night. I had to put that dude. You got to watch American Gigolo. I know I do, and I need to watch Videodrome. Yes. Um, so let's talk about when he goes to yes. teach at this college because the way it's set up is like they want me to come be a professor. Uh, like it's a good job. Is this a fucking logging college? What happens? He goes and he teaches in an attic and every student has this look on their face like, because what's his name? Bill. What's his name again? Bob, Bill, his friend, uh, the, the actor. Oh, 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 Bruce McGill. Bruce McGill is like, everybody heard you're coming and, you know, don't worry, you'll have no problem filling your class. And you think it's going to be all these sketch artist acolytes who know some great, and it's just these farmers and he goes up to the mall and, <laughs> yeah, you're what's right. your favorite comic strip? I don't know. I don't know. And then what a strange choice. You're right. <laughs> the, the first shot of Stella, I just went, uh Oh, because I knew this movie was now going to become exactly what we've talked about before. And yeah. I was, I was really bummed about that because this movie doesn't need any of no, that. No, and no, it's no. just such a sign of the times and of, of the creator and the indulgence of it. But, but to go from one cozy job to the other, like details aside about this, the college being kind of rough, but the idea of like, oh, I'm going from my illustration job to my one class a week pro guest professor job that I get to stay in a cabin. I was like, this guy's living the dream. I know. But this girl, Stella doesn't even necessarily want to be an artist. None of them do. And you see her sketchbook. A plus, by the way, for realistic shitty drawings. That was the funniest, possibly unintentionally, 
funniest Possibly. punctuation moment of that little chapter of she drops by, they seduce, they have sex, they leave, he says goodbye, they don't kiss or anything. It was such a little dalliance they've had. He closes the door, he opens up her sketchbook, and it's the shittiest drawings <laughs> in the I'm world. Saying. I was like, this is like a Zucker Brothers gang. A plus for it being realistic <laughs> shitty drawings. F minus for this what's he gonna say like there's nothing he can say like you've got potential how funny of a 15 minute like short film would that be where you watch this like little romance and he's like I'm gonna look at her sketchbook and it ends on like a shitty Mr. Potato drawing because she has she is anybody with no artistic talent at that age should still be better than that she actually yeah. is like a preschooler. <laughs> what they're always trying to draw. Do you think she drew it? I think that's how they got the. I, I think so. Oh, so it was it like was prop master step aside. Brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. And then, yeah. And then you cut to what the hand has drawn, which it might Perfect. as well be on the side of a van in the seventies at an Iron Maiden concert. So for those of you who listen to the show, but don't watch the movies, which is a okay. Yeah. Um, the illustration is like the hand, perfectly rendered, with the middle finger going up, like into the woman he just slept with. Yeah. And uh, this is where he maybe thinks something's up. <laughs> He's like, oh, but when did he have time to do this and color it? By the way, but the hand did it. But the hand didn't do it. No, the because there is no hand. Wait, the the hand's not there by that time. The hand's all in his mind. What? No, the hand is doing this stuff. No. What? I know they're doing this like Rosemary's Baby thing where they're trying to keep it confusing. But But at the end, they show that he's done all the killings. Oh, because they're in the... uh, it's just a, in the trunk? It's an extension of his psyche. He's he's his way of killing is to p- put the the projection that there's a hand. That's the way he believes it. So that's what you meant when Bruce McGill was telegraphing it. Yeah. See, I thought I, I saw that moment happen and stuff. I thought it was the straight world's understanding of these strange events uh-huh. and he's now confined into this but no they no you're right, so you're he right. got up and drew that either with his prosthetic hand or his left hand no but then at the end the hand jumps out and gets the lady i know but i think that's another projection of his he's killing her i mean i will say the ending is i think supposed to be ambiguous but before that that little, yeah, I know that's a, like, yeah. I don't like it when somebody's like, but at the end there yeah, was a scary It's a gag. cheap I, twist. Yeah. I, I understand you don't really hold up to that, but yeah. like, they do definitively come down and they're saying like, you buddy, we, and this is the reality. Okay. But he, cause he kills Stella. He killed Bruce McGill. That's funny because it gets into a little bit and it was such a, not a nitpick. It was just like a, am I overthinking this? But when the hand started to attack him, I was like, well, if this hand is an extension of him, are we supposed to think this is his consciousness attacking him? Or or is this the moment where 
like in a lot of horror movies, the monster now has become its own fully sentient, like fully evolved thing. And now it has its own consciousness and is attacking him because it's like, uh, you're standing in the way of my hand killing that I like to do. I don't care yeah. if you're me. But I think I think it it's meant to be interpreted that way at that point in the movie. But when you look back, if it. the movie goes this deep, it's he attacked his wife, the mother of his child, and he's got to kill himself. I think essentially. Gotcha. This movie's fucking deep. Man. No, no, I like that. That's good. And I can't believe I missed that because I'm sure it's so obvious, but that's what happens sometimes. I'm not the most, but that brings us back. I'm a dummy. I do this too, I'm a dummy when I watch stuff. I do this too, but that brings us back to him getting up in the middle of the night after they've had sex and doing a full color rendering. That's right. So it does go- <laughs> and he's just sitting there. <laughs> Well, then that gets to the blackout thing that they were talking yeah, about. That's right. I was just complaining yeah. to somebody two days ago. I hate in thrillers when they use the blackout thing. I blacked out. And I'm like, blackouts don't work that way unless it's a very specific yeah. diagnosis of like I black out and I. But like, there was a Naomi Judd movie I watched once where it was like just because she drinks a lot, she has blackouts and doesn't know she's killing people. It is such a cop out. Oh, like, wait, is this Ashley Judd? Ashley Judd. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Which movie was it? The bone collector or, or no spider. It was uh, one after yeah. one of those. And it tried to remember that get one. the spirit yeah. back. Yeah, it was so bad. And it was really bad yeah. and secret. Um, or the girl, what was getting me to talk about it was the girl on the train does a lot of, I'm a wino blackout. Oh, Didn't remember yeah. what I did. It is. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. So when it popped up in this, I, uh, I mean the, the idea totally of like your unconscious thing is making you do stuff that you can't recognize is so cool. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, um, that it did make me, you know, with the brood and this, this idea of this disembodied thing that is connected to my psyche, but is going doing the things that I'm not necessarily conscious of doing. Um, I partly like that doesn't show up much in horror movies, right? No. Uh-uh. And the most is maybe like possession. It's like somebody possesses somebody cause yeah. they're trying to get the thing that they want. But I, I was thinking about it when we, after we watched the brood and I was just thinking like, Oh, horror movies that, cause that just seems really, if somebody could, figure it out I feel like it's very kind of a contemporary thing this uh, feeling of like um, without being too stupid about it but it's like that's kind of like what social media does a little bit for you it's kind of this like I have this energy inside Mm me I'm not really acting on it but it's something I can kind of inflict upon the world and I'm not fully conscious of its Impact. Oh, 100%. And I think certain people do that more than others. We all know people that you love in real life, and then you see what they do online, and you just... It's their own little brood. Yeah. Or it's their own little hand. Too. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, I remember early going on a couple dates with people I had met on either Twitter or whatever, and they were so witty and lively on Twitter and then you get in a room with them and they can't look you in the eye and you know and you realize oh that's because they're freer on social media they're more comfortable or something yeah so that's yeah I guess if he's like the hand is Twitter right 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 Michael Caine is like 
and he's perfectly cast, not just that he's a great actor and committed, like we said, but also just, um, you know, he's British. So this idea of like repression, just like yeah. being part of the performance, it's like remains of the day or something. It's about like the, the power of seeing somebody holding it together and then it coming out in crazy ways because of the hand. I just wish the hand was doing more wild stuff. That being said, I would kill to take this guy's class. Yeah, I would be. I mean, you'd certainly have a more believable name. Your name is Matt Gorley. Yeah. Oliver Stone's character's name for the the young college student. Do you remember? For the girl? For the boy. Oh, yeah. Billy? Billy Jenkins. (laughs) Jenkins. Billy Jenkins. Jenkins. This class. Talk about impulsive first choice. Oliver, that's how he's so prolific. He's just like, first choice, first choice, first choice. Billy Jenkins. Other things like that in the movie. They this this movie nails shitty drawings, but they're doing that trope of him having a grocery bag with a sprig of carrot sprouts hanging or celery hanging out the top, which it just always drives me crazy. Well, as a person who packed groceries for like too, three yeah. years, I'm like, uh, uh, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, now, when I go to the supermarket and somebody packs the groceries, I want to get in there, but I realize that's weird. Yeah. To get in there and start packing the groceries. In it's my little, day. But when I love when somebody packs a good, you're saying your day, when you go down to the old, the market. Well, yeah, I was a. Have we talked about that we were both grocery baggers? I don't think so. Yeah, I did it. I didn't do it long, but it was my first job at Ralph's. I mean, I loved it. If I retire and I'm just like looking for a job, I would do that because it's um, a good union. It's also like um, what I loved about it is it's Tetris. You're like seeing all the pieces come to you, you're figuring out how to classify them. Work sucks always, uh, unless it's work you love. Don't really love this, but it the having to categorize takes up so much of your brain that you can't think about like my ex my girlfriend's right. having fun with somebody oh, else right yeah, now. Interesting. My Did you ever have anyone come up and buy actual Tetris blocks that then they just kept? <laughs> yes, it was like those. The weird, they were all the weird or. Uh, uh, zigzag ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you get to put them together. And then also I loved, it was walking from inside to outside all day long. Oh yeah. So you just get to walk and kind of talk to people. It was, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. When she comes over and they have that affair, I didn't know what to say, except I just wrote, what a strange encounter. I mean, it It does feel like a dream. I mean, that's the thing that feels most dreamlike in this movie. There's no human that talks like her or responds like her and just takes her shirt off. Of course, it's just, Oliver Stone, I know this is what you want, but give your protagonist at least some challenge or some... If only to enrich uh, Michael Caine's character. If that's yeah. like your whole uh, uh, point here, like then have yeah. her, uh, you know. Well, okay. Well, in that says though, dude, that sex scene was wild. Oh yeah, she's like kissing his gloved hand and stuff. <laughs> that was so good. I love saying, that part. Was she saying do it more or do it, do, do it. it, do it more, do it? And it was like complainy. It's like Oliver Stone is a sadomasochist where he's he wants it handed to him on a plate, but he also wants to be berated or something. It was Yeah, the the the, the push and pull. The, yeah. 
Well, when he's not going to go to a psychiatrist, it's going to tell him that uh, his hand uh, is actually his mother's penis. Or yeah, what, what did that? he say? He didn't say, like, penis envy. He said, he's just going to tell me I have penis issues. Or what, it was yeah. some weird way of saying it. You know, I was thinking, though, that... Um, uh, vaginal imagery and stuff in movies. Yeah. Like, I was just thinking, like, on the way over here. Literally, as I was like turning, because I was thinking about the movie and stuff. Uh, that and the whole the idea of penis envy or whatever. It, if you think about it, and phallic imagery, the most powerful probably is vaginal because not everybody's necessarily seen a penis, but everybody at least has a vagina or came out of one. And in some way has that connection to, oh, I came out of it. And even if you didn't see it in that moment, you were in it, you felt it. So it's somehow connected. A penis is kind of like 50% of it happened. And then the other percentage is just kind of like, it's like a, yeah, I see it. My dad has it. My boyfriend's gets hard when we have, like, it's just like, it's such a funny thing to have that center around everything. But it's like, yeah, I, I get that. It's like, it Freud's mind. It's like, because it's a sign of a symbol of power yeah, or whatever. So, yeah. But, um, and I'm not against Freud. I think he's the shit, man. Do you? Yeah. I don't know much about Freud. The fact that he put into words, the thing that we all know is just, fact like it's kind of like mind-blowing you go oh he oh. figured out now look there's so many ways you could like say that he you know criticize him but like um the idea that uh we have impulses and motivations because of how we were raised and experienced the world it's oh, such yeah. a water is wet I the sun is hot he... sort of thing and then he figured out a way to make it you know how so. would he analyze the hand I mean, it's total like, uh, it's very, I don't know. It's, it is kind of an impotency. The thing parable. I thought of was uh, the mind, like body thing that B blood simple is all about that too. If you watch that, mm. it's kind of about like, um, it's like you can cut a lizard's tail off and it still wiggles or like the end when, um, the main guy, the cowboy is trying to attack and he's got his hand stabbed in one window. So she, she thinks it's somebody else crying. Like, Oh yeah. There's all these kind of confusions about like, that for me feels like a. This is so far afield, but less like psychological, more like spiritual or something, mm. right? Or I don't know. What mm. is the mind body thing? I don't know. Ask Cronenberg, man. He's that's the guy. I believe in it though. Like when people get done with a big thing and you get sick, that's like a pretty simple example. Yeah, of like I yeah, I definitely. They're definitely connected in some yeah. way. Yeah. Um, you know what else is connected? Nineteen eighty one. Uh, Michael Caine does The Hand and Victory. Damn. Jeez. Oh, and this is a year after Dressed to Kill, too, so this is yeah peak thriller, too, time for... Um, There's a you point. love Victory. Were you disappointed that Stallone wasn't in The Hand? Or uh, no. Pele? No, I wish Stallone wasn't in Victory. Um, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You think he... Into the way of... Yeah, and he, they made him change the... He made them change the ending and... Oh, know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. To, what, instead who, of winning by scoring goals, they get to win by him defending goals. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Because I of remember. his fucking ego. 
That's how it works. Jesus. Oh my gosh. I wanted he to see when this was movie, released. Sorry, he also makes yeah. the movie too, nope. ex- too exciting, frankly. He brings too much Rocky to it. Yes. You're like, keep it cozy. Like keep this it movie, I had a, a, a note deep into it. No kills or thrills, but oh well. <laughs> there's really not many kills for no. quite a while. Yeah, it's, it's a long stretch. And then when they do happen, they don't really uh, deliver. Sorry, um, what were you going to say? Oh, um, I was just, when you said 1981, that's when I was born. So I was just curious when oh. this was released. Mm. And it's April 24th. So it's like 12 days after I came out. Happy birthday, Paul. We've got a little treat for you. We're taking you 12 day old to see the hand. <laughs> My parents brought me 12 days old to see the head. I just, think the, the weekend before was like Excalibur or something. Oh, wow. Um, somebody's birthday is coming up too. I know. A boogity boogity. Boogity boogity. <laughs> Do you know what the credit of the woman at the end is? Do you know what her role is? No. Doctress. Stewardess. And waitress, stewardess, and doctress. Doctress. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say that's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, I, except for that last moment when the hand came out, I hated that whole expressionistic German doctor moment at the uh, end. Yeah. It should have ended with that flashlight on his face, looking down at the trunk and him looking all terrified. When he was screaming and flipping out, I thought it was going to go to the credits. I was mm. like, that would have flipped me out. Much like The Shining, though, with the subsequently deleted scene, they go into this yeah. doctor hospital kind of, uh, what, denouement that just doesn't, it's not for horror movies. I mean, I guess they ramp it back up. But also, have you seen Midnight Express? No. Like, that's the movie, you know, Oliver Stone wrote before this. And it's, his that movie is like it ends with how Michael Caine looks in this. He's all like beaten down, like oh, oh, I'm a shell of what I was. Who's the actor? Um, good golly, he's passed away. Um, Clark Gable. It was Clark Gable? I think it was the star of Midnight Express. Um, uh, frankly, my dear, I will smuggle heroin. <laughs> what? <laughs> Come on. Uh, anyway. Oh, when you mentioned the credits, though, with Doc Dress, it made me think of, we didn't talk about the, the opening credits are handwritten. I mean, we I did know. a little bit. And then you even hear the sound of the pencil or the pen. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Ordinary People has that really great. Oh, yeah. From that era, the handwritten. Yeah. That, I love that. I that too. really kind of hasn't ever, Drive, I remember that title yeah. kind of looked like it was written. And yeah. You, the other thing that's really just not popular anymore is the movie title that's a pop hit from 25 years ago kind of thing. What do you mean? Like, uh, 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 Peggy Sue got married or only you can't buy me love. Just like whatever kind of is a nostalgic thing that can trigger being knives out and glass onion is, but those aren't like, right. Oh, that's a song I liked in high school and now having titling it has this other meaning or yeah. Wet ass pussy. Coming to your theaters. What would be your high school song uh, title that would be used in a romantic comedy? Oh, man. Uh, A romantic comedy? Yeah. Can't touch this. (laughs) That's good. It's about uh, a guy who won't ever get pinned down or commit. Yeah. Or a lady. Or Rico Suave. 
Ale, ale. Yeah. Yeah, Rico Suave, I could see being your romantic comedy. Yeah. This is kind of a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Did you see that gift she had in the foreground? Mm-mm. The game Stop Thief. <laughs> Pretty tight. I would love to get Stop Thief. You know what I'm calling bullshit on, though? What? A girl being excited, a girl or boy being excited on Christmas morning, getting a copy of The Three Musketeers. Yeah, that was weird. What? I would only put that out as a gift. So if my kid reacted with such enthusiasm, like this kid did in the movie, I would know to go get my kid's head examined. Yeah, as a test. Yeah, yeah as a test. I'm like, wait. But as daddy, much- daddy, <laughs> the three musketeers. Book club edition. The, uh, Michael Caine obviously has a monster turn in this movie, but this mom, just the way she's bringing this guy home with the daughter and doing these like crying yoga, intimate crying yoga exercises in the Origin Institute can only be repulsive to me. Can only be how uh, Alrick Stone experiences her, right? Yeah. Like, I came in once. <sighs> She was in the middle of the floor doing new age techniques. Yeah. And, and also like whatever the, the parents are doing in this divorce (laughs) seems to have no effect on the child. Not until he tries to murder her. Does she even respond in a negative way? This girl will be so fucked up by this weird cult guy coming into the house. Oh, from the kid who falls asleep in the car seat in the backseat instantly in movies to the kid who just disappears when the parents are arguing. Um, always conscious now of just yeah. like where's the fucking kid right now yeah and and then she just handles his hand being cut off and like oh that's interesting yeah 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 she comes to the test and then um he doesn't want to have it get touched right but then he's okay with it being... what i thought was most interesting kind of cool her last scene is when I have to imagine this was intentional. She became like the most sympathetic right before the hand attacked her. Like when she was giving her case to him of like, this guy is more like a best friend to her or or an older brother to her. You're always her dad. And she's always going to like, I was like, oh, she's being reasonable and doling this out in a reasonable way, in a way that she just wasn't for the rest of the movie. I was like, where yeah. was that person? But also, <laughs> I th- she's actually not having an affair with this man. I guess he is living. No, she is, right. Yeah, I think because she, she didn't want to move with him. And yeah. he was like, it's because you want to live with this guy and do work, with, a new job with him. Yeah. It was like implied that their marriage was over or something. That's right. Which person is it? The hand attacks their face, but it latches onto their face like a face hugger, except it makes the most comic. Do you remember that? Oh, uh, 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 the girl when she's underneath the Christmas tree. Yes. That's it gets, it. and also like a, yeah, it's it sounds like a saloon, old West saloon slap. Oh. Uh, yeah. And that Christmas tree thing when, uh, uh, Right, she opened it, and then um, she goes to. Um, the uh, <laughs> he's like, did my hand give lingerie? I know that's right. Also, this is my last note, but it's a good one. The hand screams. 
the hand there's screams. two times <gasps> it's subtle the first time but then at the end when he's chasing michael kane i think there's a shot of it coming towards camera and it's like <laughs> it's you know meant to be one of those that kind of like, is good plausible deniability things but it's absolutely a scream well, I was just, you know, when you're saying like uh, scream, I, I wish there was a sequel so you could heighten that. You know, it screams you now and then it starts talking because at the end. But like this. I would. Yeah. The, the little thumb mouth. I thought they were like to have them team up in the sequel. Like Michael Caine is no longer fighting the hand. It's oh, like yeah. we're going to work together now to like rob banks and stuff. Oh, so it could be on his hand, but then detach on its own and jump off yeah, go, and go get the money. While, yeah. while he, you know, holds down the tellers. Yeah, or any kind of genre movie. It doesn't even or have to be. Or he just weird. becomes a perv where he's at a restaurant and he lets the hand drop below the table and walk over and, like, grope the girl. But he's over here going, like, wasn't hey. me. And then it goes and, like, steals mashed potatoes off a guy's plate, brings it over <laughs> to him, feeds it to him. He's like, nope. <laughs> I always pick up hand mashed potatoes off my plate with my hands. <laughs> Wrong again. Uh, wrong again oh uh my favorite michael kane deliveries uh in this movie were um it was just one city could you imagine the city that he said that i thought was pretty choice michael kane he broke it up into every possible syllable you could los angeles nope a little Uh, more north sacramento very close san francisco yeah san francisco san francisco um so um why can't i remember does he defeat the hand uh when they come in at the end when he fights the hand yeah no i don't think he does i think the hand like gets a where do they find the hand at the end and they put it in a bag I don't know. I did like the setup of when he gives her the car to go out to the store and she's like, what smells? Uh, and I, it wasn't a total tip off for me. I no, don't me know. Either. And then you find out, well, yeah, there's right. two decaying bodies. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another reason you know it's not the hand. I thought I, it was because I bloody faulted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like that. Uh, um. So just real quick, looking over um, these things, um, Matt. Yeah. Uh, I did like that when he was like, I had this right here. Where where did it go? Maybe our daughter took it or something. Um, I did think like similar to owning a dog and blaming a fart on the dog. Mm. Always having like a hand that got cut <laughs> off that you could blame missing things on. That would, would be, be amazing nice. if you're an amputee. It's a nice little perk. I didn't take it. Did you think his little metal hand, he should have been at a medic lab on Cloud City? Yeah. I wanted a little kind of those little pinpricks. Oh, they didn't have touches. Yeah. Yeah. And then his black glove has a little laser hole in it. Okay. But when you put on a black glove over a fake hand. It's more sinister. You automatically have to become like a Bond villain. Yeah. Yeah. And when he crashes that white glass and it's robotic. Why not put on a second glove? Right, just go both gloves. Yeah. Then you could be like a mysterious killer who crosses off names each time you kill them and <laughs> hold hold a blade with glinting light. <laughs> uh, the uh, uh, oh, the other d- delivery that was good is when he said, "I made Mandro." <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, we mentioned briefly Charles Fleischer, uh, yeah. but this is his second appearance in a movie we watched. He was in Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Uh, if we eventually watch Zodiac, I guess we'll see him in then. Or, but, yeah. what? or Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. The thing I... Technically a murder story. That's right. It, it's surprising we didn't do it as the first movie. Yeah. Uh, I liked that Charles Fleischer was in this. I did miss from Nightmare on Elm Street that little kitty poster that's... Oh, uh, okay. I don't think we talked about the kitty poster during the Nightmare on Elm Street scene, but in all of his doctor scenes, there's like a little kitty poster behind him. Oh. <laughs> so I thought it'd be funny if it was like part of his contract that he has to have it in every scene. Um, Oliver Stone, yes, was the hobo who got killed. Um, I was thinking how like in Halloween 3, a hobo gets killed and an American werewolf in London. Yeah. Hobos are nice little expendable. Absolutely. What's like a serial killer in real life. Yeah. In horror movies, they just, yeah, they're like, nobody's gonna, uh, do you think it's definitely stone is doing like Hitchcock did this. I'm going to do this. Cause he's in platoon. Is he in Jeff K? Oh, the little, yes. Yeah. He, he cameos in his stuff. Yeah. He's a good actor. Like when he was in the home and then he had to do the thing of the hand getting, attacking him in the garbage. (laughs) It's like, Hey, he's also, uh, committed. I mean, he seems insane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, when, Oh, uh, um, I like the part when the robot hand was picking up a raw hamburger patty. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I know the poster's pretty cool. It's like that black and white kind of spider-looking thing that's in the end. Yeah. But I think the poster should have been <laughs> close up of a raw hamburger the patty and a robot The about hand. that, too, is he'd successfully done it. And then he just kept it in his hand for so long. I can watch a 30-minute scene of Michael Caine <laughs> grilling hamburgers with a robot hand and kind of picking things but up. But then and analyzing it on his acting in film class. What you do, right? It's not enough to have a <gasps> ball of hamburger and you... I fucking can't do Michael Caine. Well, it's, it's the easiest impression. It's the easiest impression. It. It's like a, a stuntman who can't do like a fire walk. <laughs> exactly. What's the easiest stunt would you say that... Uh, Any just like a punch, a, a punch, a John yeah. Wayne punch. Yeah, it's like a guy who can't sell a punch. My ball from a baby's Michael Kite. That's good. I put a bunch of ground hamburger in my prosthetic head. Now I'm getting New Zealand, and I sound like <laughs> the guy in the special editions, all the special features for the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. We built every chain by a link by oh, link. That's good. That guy. All Do right. you, uh, uh, did you watch? I've never seen those Michael Caine acting technique videos. I did. I have watched them, yeah. People I really think. seem to, they swear by them. We watched them a lot in college as a class, I think, because my teachers didn't want to teach. So, Do you remember a tip? I just remember him doing scenes from Alfie with the little guy. And you do it like this, right? Because if I do it like this, I'm not doing this. With so his I, eyes? Yeah. Is that what he said? Oh, I thought he said the little guy. Well, the little, he had a little student playing Alfie and it's look here, right? Because if I look here, I'm not looking here. And it was all very vague, you know? Yeah. If I move it just one inch. That's funny. Bob's your uncle. 
if I do it over here, it's not working, right? They're not buying it. The Sheila's in the house. They're not going to get all, all worked up. It's so funny, too, because what he's forgetting is like, Michael Caine, you have the perfect movie for a movie camera. Like, yeah, it's perfectly symmetrical. It fills up a frame beautifully. The light hits it off perfectly. Not everybody could like tell a story I with know. their eyes. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's not just like a technique. I mean, I'm sure people would do better acting if they just did it through their eyes yeah. in a close up and not. Yeah. But still, it's funny that it's like jumping over like. Hey man, your face is the special effect, buddy. Yep. And his hair. Oh, when his he hair starts getting this? that Gene Wilder like crazy hair. I know where his sideburns are so long that they grow over his ears into the rest of his hair, so it looks like his it doesn't look like he has ears or something. Yeah, and that's not a wig, right? No, no, that's pure. And like, he does have ears. Yes, I couldn't tell you. So the ring on the pillow thing with this idea that this is so dressed to kill, by the way, yeah. I'm realizing the like idea that the doctor doesn't know yeah. the person's doing this thing. And then you find out at the end yeah. because the like, it makes me understand like the ring on the pillow. Like I was like, wait, why is the hand playing tricks on him? Like, why does now the hand want to scare him? Doesn't does the, the hand, hand just work in service him? of him? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, because there is no fucking hand, man. That's the big disappointment. There is no fucking up, hand. There's no fucking Santa Claus. There's no fucking Tooth Fairy. There's no fucking God. And then you find out there's no fucking hand, man. Hey, back up, back up, hey, back up. Yeah. No Tooth Fairy? I'll give you that one. I've never, well, I saw the Dwayne You Johnson can't prove movie. a negative. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's uh, uh, it. Yeah, the... Uh, uh, this is going to be a tough best kill. I'm going to go best thrill. Ooh, that's good. And for me, that's the hand getting cut off in the first place. Or when he's punching himself in the nuts with his own hand stump. Mm. Because his hand's up his pants. That's one of the best moments I've ever seen in the history of this podcast. With that, it goes up his pants. Did it, it tears some fabric too along the way? It goes up his pants. He could punch... Also, we did talk about the hand has like the power of like putting its fingers into like a robot. Like yeah. I guess it's But he could be punching his crotch with the other hand, with his fist, but he's instead choosing his stump to punch the hand within his pants in his crotch. Yes. What do you think Michael Caine's hand is doing during that? Is it off to the side? That was amazing to think that when you'd see a real person's amp hand that they're the just thinking of the configuration of the two people in the yeah. shot it was pretty impressive so that was your greatest thrill that's a good one yeah. um the uh for me you know what i thought was really well i'll do that 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 accident the, when, when the, the whole setup and then his hand getting chopped yeah. off and then uh, in true Oliver Stone as a tasteless filmmaker, another filmmaker would have done that in kind of the most elliptical way. Yeah, he goes so extreme; it goes so much farther than it should. The blood's like sprayed into his face, yeah. and it was wife's face. It's it is a so bombastic. Wide shot, sunny lighting. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved it. Yes, me too. Me too. Um, the the scene that did like a, I thought was pretty strong was the yeah when he first realizes like, oh, somebody smudged up the comics. But also, 
if I had to pick a moment that felt the most like Oliver Stone-ish is when he goes back into the bar and it's like Michael Caine's point of view. Oh yeah. And all the roughs and toughs. Yeah. And the, um, sound is like not real. It's like otherworldly. Like people are in the bar. You're only hearing like wails and screams that could be in reality. Somebody having a good time, but more like when, and then Bruce McGill kind of comes up to his face and he looks, it, it was a really, I, I did think like when Oliver Stone can do that thing of like making all the pieces work to express what somebody in the yeah. scene is feeling. Yeah, the expressionistic. Yeah. yeah, that's when it's good. It's like when it becomes editorial or something yeah. is when it, anyway. But the, uh, I know that doesn't have blood, but when I saw that, it did, uh, it did kind of freak me out. Yeah. Um, also when he died, uh, his tongue stuck out when he got choked to death. I like that choice. Yeah. He went, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Now, now we got to, uh, um, give a, uh, a, a ranking. Uh, yeah. I just, did you say- like the end though? When he just kind of stood up and went to black and white freeze frame. That's such a perfect ending. Yeah. And they just, that's the frame you wanted to freeze on. Yeah. Bruce, I also saw Alan Horwath, the guy who does music with John Carpenter. I was reading the credits at the end oh. as they went by, and I saw that he, uh, Alan H O W A R D T H, he did additional special sound effects. Interesting. Yeah. Bruce McGill could be Time Daly's brother. Yes. It makes more sense than Tim Daly being her brother. Yeah. Bruce okay. McGill and Tyne Daly yeah. are the true siblings. That's right. Get out of town, Tim. You're not wanted. All right. We <laughs> gave the thing. You gave it a 13. Hey, I why don't it. you catch a plane on Sandpiper Air? Now we're talking. You <laughs> you gave the thing 13. I gave it a 12. What are you going to give the hand? Mm. I'll give this a seven and a half. 7.5. I may change this later. I love it, buddy. I'm giving the hand an 11 out of 13. Yes. <laughs> I loved this movie. 11 fingers out of 10. Yeah, that was my kind of movie. I'm so glad you chose it. So it won't be everybody's cup of tea. Probably won't be most people's cup of tea, but I watched it. Oh, also I should mention, you know, my theory of, you know, good movie, bad day, good, mm-hmm. bad movie, good day, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I had a session canceled yesterday. I was going to watch this movie at night and I knew Amanda didn't want to watch it because it was kind of, I was kind of bummed, you know, but that got canceled and I just like at 11 o'clock, I just cozied into bed, put on headphones and watched this movie Had some snacks. Perfect. Heaven. Really perfect. Heaven. Yeah. All right. So going off of the, the way we decided to, uh, dagger these movies was basically best uh, or highest number of trusty votes for which movie to do, then the least, then the second best, then the second least. So we'd end somewhere in the middle as far as preference. And I think the comparison I made last week, it'd kind of be like if you get your bag of Halloween candy and say, hey, Twix are your favorite. So you eat all the Twix first and you're like, man, I wish I would have saved some Twix for later. To extend that comparison... You might not think you like that whatchamacallit at the bottom, or that twin being at the bottom, but the hand might be your twin being. That's right. And here's the way that that plays out. 
the thing had 650 votes. So that was first. The hand had 90 votes. So that was second because okay. it was the least voted for film. It may be one of my favorites. Next up with 512 votes next week, Suspiria, 1977. Good, yes. It'll be 1977. Um, the, what's the one after that then? Then it will be The Strangers with 99 votes, followed by Seven with 256 votes, then Sinister with 100 votes, then The Conjuring with 128 votes, and then The Vanishing with 118 votes. And we're doing the original Dutch Vanishing. Some people have had some questions. Is that 88, I think? Yeah. So yeah. Um, if you start watching the one and there's no uh, windmills in frame, yeah, you're or, watching the wrong one. Yeah, it should be. And then it cuts to 20 to 30 minutes of just tulips and then 80 minutes of dikes. And, and then what's usually like post-credits is like wooden clogs. Yeah. Shots of wooden clogs. So it's a, a freeze frame of wooden clogs. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, Head over to patreon.com slash with Worley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.